0: Hey guys, it's Kathy here from Geek Girl Meetup UK and you're joining me for the latest episode of Geek Girl Meets, our podcast which brings you amazing women in tech to inspire you and hopefully teach you one or two new things. And today I'm delighted to welcome the founder of Blooming Founders, Lou Lee, who I've done quite a bit of stuff with in the past. We've spoken at a couple of events together. She's absolutely epic. I'm just going to praise her before she says hello. And she's launching a book. So we're here to talk about Lou, Lou's career and blooming founders book which is coming out soon so welcome Lou hello
1: morning morning
0: we have coffee I'm happy
1: it's Monday morning oh my god
0: (laughs) it's fine I I think you know starting uh starting Monday morning with a podcast isn't isn't the worst thing you can do how I start yes exactly it's fine so I've already explained we go all the way back to the beginning at the start of this podcast so when you were little what did you want to be when you were growing up
1: yes um it's a good question because as the only child of Chinese parents, I didn't really have my own dreams. I knew exactly what my parents wanted me to do. So from the moment I think I could think, I just always had, you know, the expectations of my parents to fulfill. So being a good child, I obviously worked towards that, and which meant going to a really good school, getting basically straight A's all the time, going to a very good university and getting a job that pays a lot of money. What exactly job that was, my parents didn't really care, I didn't really care. <laughs> but uh, for the first, I think, 20 years of my life, that's when I graduated from high school, well, 19. That was the goal. And yeah, that's how
0: I started. <laughs> okay, so I'm intrigued now. So if, if that was kind of the, the start, so yeah. not knowing, but ultimately having the goal of must be successful, must make money. When did you... Kind of figure out what you wanted to do. How old were you? Do you reckon when you kind of found something that you
1: loved? Probably now. <laughs> um, it took me until age twenty-eight to quit my corporate job and actually jump off the whole path that was that I thought all my life would be sort of my life path, right? Then because I'd went to a really good business school, I started with McKinsey in um, in Munich in two thousand eight, end of two thousand eight, and that was my life like my student life dream basically. I walked towards that goal for like five years and then I realized that actually is not for me. So I made the first kind of like jump and left McKinsey but then to join another big corporate which was Pock and Gamble, still wanting to work for the best of the best and you know the biggest companies. And I stayed with um, p and for another four years um, and that's when I was 28 um, and I just didn't see myself in the corporate anymore. and. Most importantly, I didn't see myself in another corporate as well because I just realized, you know, it would be the same thing in a different color with different people around me. But the problems, you know, that um, I faced myself were the same. So that's when I took the leap. However, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. <laughs> so, um, but at, as both McKinsey and p and um, I still love those companies. Uh, we did a lot of post development training. So, we thought a lot about our strength, and it kind of you know, just made sense to me to build on my strength uh, versus just always trying to you know, kind of like make up weaknesses, which is kind of like the culture in Germany sometimes when you grow up, right? You have to be good at everything and stuff. And, and that's how I embarked really on my entrepreneurial journey. Um, I mean, Blooming Found is my third business in the end. The first two clearly didn't work out, and also because I didn't really know what I was doing, I just thought, oh, you know, that sounds fun, or that sounds kind of like, you know, sensible at the time. But uh, you just kind of start, and then you learn along the way. And it's I think it's really with Blooming Founders, which I started a year and a half ago, that I found something that, you know, I'm willing to stick with for the mid to long term. So probably, I mean, the time, I was 30. Fancy. Okay. So... That's how mm-hmm. I give away my eight belt. No. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> she honestly does not look it, seriously.
0: But I think, you know, that's quite a nice story to share, right? Because there there's lots of people out there that don't necessarily know what they want to do, or, or they, they go into one thing, right? And then suddenly, yeah. a couple of years down the line, they go, oh, no, I'm not happy. This yeah. is not what I want to be doing. And you need to go back into discovering yeah. what yeah, it is, yeah. right? Yeah. So what were you doing at McKinsey and, and Procter & Gamble? What was the kind of area of expertise?
1: Yeah, so um, McKinsey was, you know, management, classic management consulting. Um, it's funny that, well, obviously I started at a very bad time. I started on the 1st of October 2008, so it was at the beginning of the whole recession. <laughs> yeah. And um, theoretically, when you sort of start with McKinsey, they can, you can voice a, um, a preference to which towards which practice uh, you want to basically, you know, work in. And I said I want I want to do either consumer goods across um, uh, functions, um, or marketing across industries with a sweet spot of obviously consumer goods and marketing, because that was basically my my wish. And my first project was in finance and MA, and <laughs> which was at the other side of the spectrum. And I actually did tell them that I do not want to work in finance because I've done internships with. You know, Deutsche Bank before and also BMW like in risk management. And I knew that that's not my world. Yeah. Because I've done that. But the situation at the time was such as there was no marketing projects, basically. And uh, so we didn't have the choice. Um, so I've done that. And then um, I've done another project in automotive. Um, Four BMWs from the other side. Um, again, um, but it was it just didn't get any better basically. Um, and I spoke to the partner, um, at uh, in the Munich office, and funnily he started his career at P and G, and did like you know P and G, Boston Consulting, L'Oreal, and then making the sort of hop between those big companies, and I thought that it was really cool. <laughs> so I guess I got like you know a little bit um well maybe inspired and motivated by him because he told me like look you have nothing to lose you can you know always come back you know at a later point if you wish to do so however he you know practically speaking no one that does because once you leave consulting you leave consulting forever because <laughs> then you actually you know realize like oh actually there's you know you can actually do stuff <laughs> <laughs> um but um but he, to- he told me that and then I thought okay I have nothing to lose okay cool let- let's do that um, at the same time, I, I had a different job offer from from P&G in Geneva because I kind of like always hedge my bets, and that was basically you know Plan A and Plan B. So I was like, okay, cool, uh, let's do that. And um, so I left McKinsey after quite a short time because I just realized you know there was no future, um, near future, because there was no project that was interesting for me or yeah. fit my personality or my interests. Yeah. And and they were like, well, you know, you can just you know suck it up. <laughs> or do something else and I did something else um, yeah so then at PNG I was uh, in marketing finally consumer goods and brand management and I was working for Pantin in Geneva um, I um, basically my, my first project for the first two years was to launch two collections on like two new collections for colored hair so I did everything from working with R&D, designing the packaging, designing the advertising, deploying all the materials to the, the countries. Um, I had 13 countries in, in Europe. And that was really fun because, I mean, you know, I had a lot of responsibility, yeah. a lot of budget because we were like the biggest brand, um, hair care brand in the world. And uh, yeah, I was just, you know, was just, um, it was a steep learning curve, but I really, really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. and then the second part of my career at png then they sent me to germany as an expat because we did a big brand relaunch on Pantene. um it was basically a global relaunch um all new packaging new labels new look and feel and everything and they wanted they needed somebody to kind of um do that in germany switzerland and austria who knew the brand and who speaks german and I think at the time, I was pretty much the only person in the whole organization who ticked all of the boxes. So they sent me back there, which was quite um, unusual, because I was fairly junior, you know, to be able to sort of do that typically, yeah. but they had no other choice, basically. <laughs> so they sent me, and, um, and I've done that, um, which was also kind of like then really gave me insight on working with the local markets, you know, sort of how to bring the stuff that you actually design in the headquarters on shelf, and how it then... Sort of looks like to have the stuff, you know, on at boots or like the German equivalent of boots, <laughs> and um and then I finished that assignment and then I started uh, sort of working on styling brands in Germany which were quite big in Germany um. And uh, and the last thing that I've done was to prepare the launch of Aussie, uh, which we all know in the UK mm. um, is has actually the highest conditioning sort of market share um, in the UK, but didn't exist in Europe up until um, now three years ago. And uh, so my job was to kind of like prepare the brand launch of Aussie into Germany, Switzerland, and Austria. And yeah, that's when I left.
0: Wow. So what were the two businesses that you? You know, you worked on before yeah. launching Blooming Founders. So
1: the first one was um, was a personal styling business because um, even in the corporate, I always thought that women could do better. Because I mean, there are actually quite a few women in at PNG, um, but it just kind of like when it goes up the ranks, right? Then it just gets less and less and less and less. And I always felt that you know, because we had our own discussions about our oh, the promotion and what should we do, and you know, how can we sort of achieve that goal, right? And you hear a lot of doubts, then you know, a lot of sort of worries, etc., cetera, And sometimes I just wanted to, you know, shake my colleagues and be like, "You're awesome! You can do it!" <laughs> <laughs> you know, and um, and I think you know, on average, we kind of like pushed ourselves, and 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 they're amazing. Um, but, uh, and you know, many of them got promoted, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, but I, I just still felt that there was kind of this gap, right? And it has a lot to do with how you feel about yourself. And that's also linked to then, you know, um, how we dress and therefore feel about ourselves as women. And because I was working in the beauty industry and I felt that I had a really good sense for aesthetics, I thought, oh, Let's build up my strength of, you know, sort of having a good aesthetic eye and wanting to, you know, help people with their confidence and sort of life progression. Um, so I trained as a personal stylist, um, both in London as well as with a lady in New York, um, just to also, because I'm still quite academic, <laughs> just wanted to see what the different schools are and really wanted to prepare myself yeah. and did all the mistakes in the startup, um, which I didn't even know of as a concept at the time. As in like, you know, preparing a lot and just, you know, launching way too late and just kind of investing a lot of time and money and everything before even going out to the market. But that was the business, um, working with um, individuals. And it didn't really work out because I was based in Zurich. uh, And I didn't really have a strong network there. And also I realized that the business model didn't um, really work because if you do your job well, meaning you empower the people, the people get it, Um, they don't come back to you no yeah (laughs) lifetime value is not really that great exactly so there is no repeat business um and and you know I just didn't think about these things before right so then essentially I spent about 90-95% of my time in business development and new customer acquisition and only like 5% of my time on actually doing the stuff that I wanted to do and I just didn't you know, like that wasn't quite what I saw myself doing, basically. Yeah. Um, so I left the business behind after a year and a half because then I just literally didn't see myself doing that for longer term. I think a year and a and a year and a half is is a good time to, you know, reconsider and let go of something, um, if if um, it's not the right uh, the right thing. And then I moved to London. So so when you moved to London, what year was this? Couple of years. That where? was uh 2014 March. Okay. okay. So two and a half years ago.
0: So when did you start Blooming Founders? And tell us a little bit more. You know what is Blooming Founders all about?
1: Yes. Um, so when I came to London, I, was very, I had uh, my my second business, yep. which was a consulting business uh, in tourism, um, which also didn't work out because it wasn't scalable. Because as a consulting sort of um, company, you have to scale with people, and I just couldn't find enough people who who were doing the same stuff. But um, Blooming Founders kind of organically grew out of that because when I moved to London, I didn't know anybody. I had two friends uh, at that time in the city, and, um, and they were busy. Um, so when you go to all of these networking events, you know, you just meet guys like all the time, right? And then I just missed my friends, right? Like female friends, even just to you know have a drink and catch up and just you know. Um, so I started a meetup group for entrepreneurial women, really on the side, and we just it was literally drinks. Um, after a year again, I realized I didn't want to kind of pursue the consulting um, route. But at the time, my meetup group were, has grown to about a thousand people. So I knew that actually there was, there's actually quite a lot of women who are entrepreneurs who are looking to, you know, set up something and, and, and go out on their own. And, um, and then at the same time, and that was around, uh, well, end of 2015, right? Um, no, end of 2014. So about like a year and so, beginning uh, of two thousand fifteen, I started doing more structured events for those women, like sort of listening to them, like what are they struggling with, what topics are they interested in in hearing about, and I started like getting experts into you know workshops, the events, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, so, beginning of two thousand fifteen is what I sort of would call sort of starting with Blooming Founders. The brand itself, I launched in August two thousand fifteen. Then, because at that time I thought I felt. Um, you know there was really a gap in the startup ecosystem because that's kind of like the period where I then winded down the consulting work and immersed myself more into tech city and you know going to like all of the events here and I really felt that there is a gap not you know sort of involving women and and engaging women. Yeah so following the launch of Blue
0: Mean Founders, the official launch right back in kind of August last year, when did the yeah,
1: that's over a year. Well done. Congratulations. When did the idea for the book come into play? In mid December. Okay. Mid December. Um and that was because I felt that um, you know, talking to the community members, right? Um I mean I'm quite a curious person so I kinda of ask them all sorts of things. And then I also you know I I think similar to what you're looking to do with the podcast with the squares, like I just uh, who's your role model, right? Like who do you aspire to and you know, what kind of business do you want to build? And I have to say that, um, astoundingly, it was either the typical answers, as in, like, you know, Elon Musk and, like, Mark Zuckerberg, and if it's, like, tech-related, or they didn't have any, right? So there was, like, a big blank, and I was like, you know what, I don't really have a role model, but I just want to kind of, like, you know, create this, like, business and, you know, sort of, sort of provide for myself and the family, and it was very small thinking, uh, which is not bad in itself, but I think, think that because they don't have a role model and they can see what's possible that's where they end up basically right you just kind of like oh i just want to satisfy my needs and you know that's kind of cool but but you don't you know know what's possible um, beyond that potentially and uh and i stumbled upon that myself right because in my whole corporate career i didn't have a role model i was always looking for one but um i just didn't really had had one because all of the women who were high up they were kind of like you know, a bit old school <laughs> and they were not that approachable in a way. Um so um or they had like sort of life situations where I just thought that's not very feasible for me <laughs> you know and I think really you know Cheryl Sandbrook has talked about that. You know, you can't be what you can't see. So creating relatable role models was con- is, was the goal of the book. And, you know, sort of showcasing the breadth of entrepreneurship that you can do, you know, your own thing, start up your own business, um, your tech startup, you know, in almost ev- everywhere. Uh, not if you are just based in, you know, London, Silicon Valley, or New York, yeah. but also when you're based in Jakarta or like Amman and Jordan or something like that, you know. It doesn't also have to be a tech business. It could also be a brand, a product, a service business, and you know, an agency or something. And all of these women that I have in the book, um, some of them are very advanced, right? Um... Um, like you know, Danae Man from Indiegogo, who has you know built her company. Not sure if it's a unicorn or not, but you know, she's very successful with Indiegogo. Yeah. But I also have people who uh, are very are very new to the whole thing, right? But who have an incredible story. For example, Era, um, um, you know, who used to be a professional model um, for 14 years, I think, or when she started when she was 14, and she did it for like a decade, and. You know, now she is the startup CEO of uh, a cybersecurity startup. Yeah. So that transition is fascinating because, you know, when I talk to my community members, I realize that a lot of women think that they have to be qualified to be an entrepreneur, and they think that they, you know, they don't, they need to learn things before they can start. And sharing these stories really means that you don't have to, right? Because this person didn't. She just went out and did it (laughs) and just figured things along the way. And um, so I really hope that the book can inspire uh, and encourage more women to go out there and do it. Also because, you know, she's not alone, right? I mean, Blooming Founders has a network component attached to it, which, you know, she can tap into. It's like an online think tank of entrepreneur women. So whenever you have a question, you know, it's that network that I wish I had when I started. Yeah, it didn't exist. (laughs) Damn it. <laughs> um, but, but you know, if I had that when I started, I think I would have saved a lot of time and money on doing just, you know, doing random things and figuring things out um, because business is not um, rocket science, right? A lot of things have been done before and a lot of things, uh, people doing the, doing similar things in order to achieve one goal and we can share the experiences.
0: On the note of role models and talking about the book and, and Blooming Founders, who who would you count as a role model? Who has been a bit of an inspiration for you? Because you're, you're in a very similar situation to to you know us at Geek Girl, right? You get to cross paths with amazing women mm-hmm. all the time yeah. because that's part of what you do. Exactly. Who's kind of stood out from all of the incredible women that you've met?
1: Um... You know what? I think all the sixty-six people in in the book are amazing. Um, they have all have you know great stories. Um, but I can I think I think personally, sort of before um, you know even meeting those sixty-six women, um, I think Sarah Blakely would be my role model, um, just because if sort of everything is true obviously what the media tells about her etc you know she just had this idea and she really went for it and she just kind of like sold the hell out of the whole yeah. thing and she still owns 100% of her company so you know I think that just tells me that we don't have to bow down to like, you know, VCs and investors, you know. Um obviously it's, you know, it's needed in some occasions, but sometimes, you know, you can just really sell the, the shit out of your stuff. Yeah, and make money. <laughs> um so Spanx is a billion dollar brand and she still owns a hundred percent of the company, which I think is just amazing. Um so she has always been sort of a role model for me. And and it's part of the book and you know I think um, what when I think about so what Danae is writing about, you know, sort of um, understand your why why you're doing it, because that will keep you from the long term. She has been building Indiegogo since over like a decade now, I think, and um, but it goes really, really back to sort of you know herself seeing how hard it is for a small business to raise finance because her parents have you know a small business and she has been supporting them since kind of she was little, right? And always um, I think Alex pledge is also um, pretty kick-ass. just her attitude and um she's very non-british actually (laughs) you know very straightforward and um she has a really funny um passage in the book which kind of like she tells you a trick about how to overcome situations where you might feel a bit shaky and like less confident and every time I read that I just have to laugh and um and again you know I think you know um I mean I I have to say Ira is is also one of my favorites because she just demonstrated that you don't have to be ready and sort of, you know, um, done things before in order to do a new thing. And and the last one, actually, um, is a a woman called Tony Lane Cassidy. She um, is in the U.S. Um, She started a media company in Bitcoin, and um, her letter is the last one because I wanted to end it with a bang because I just felt really um sort of oh yeah overwhelmed well yeah sort of really um inspired by her letter because she writes about how she started um a company i'm not sure whether it was bitcoin telegraph but a media company and she got um a lot of backstabbing from the people that she helped so she helped a lot of women actually bloggers you know on oh, their wow. career and you know sort of pushing them up and connecting them and there was some kind of jealousy in the in the space. So essentially, they actually destroyed her relationship with, you know, lies and rumours and, and stuff like that. And I just felt it was crazy that she had to experience that, yeah. get over it, and she's still supporting me, you know, in my pursuit of inspiring new women, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I felt that was pretty, pretty strong. Cause,
0: yeah, but yeah. it just kind of shows that she's... She's wired in the right way, right? Because yeah. it shouldn't be about it shouldn't be about breaking people up, but it should be yeah. about lifting everyone up yeah, with yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. And she's unfortunately been that person who's then yeah. had the negative side, yeah. which shouldn't happen. Yeah.
1: But I think, and she's like, still,
0: it's... she's still. No, this is what
1: I be think. Done. The most astonishing thing is that she's still, you know, sort of, you know, yeah. not to say, oh my god, like all the women are bitches, kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, can I swear? Actually, I don't know.
0: Uh, We've well, already done it a couple of times. It's too oh, late okay. now. <laughs>
1: and um so that was pretty yeah okay so the book yes how can people get hold of a copy so it will be available on amazon uh it's uploaded on amazon but it's kind of like when you upload something into the app store you don't know when it appears so it's a (laughs) bit of a nail-biting moment right now um it will be hopefully live on amazon um tomorrow actually uh, if it doesn't it'll probably be on Wednesday or Thursday. but in any way uh, people can get a hold of it on blooming so bloomingfounders.com/ book um, there's a pre-order with a PayPal checkout right now um, which means you get me the money and I'll send it to you when it's available on Amazon and then when it's available on Amazon then I will just put the Amazon link there so bloomingfounders.com/ book is the safe address to go to. Okay, no matter what happens.
0: And you can imagine if you're if you're listening to this podcast,'ve um, I've done this before where I'm like, there's a box of text near my voice somewhere <laughs> on a screen right now go to the box of text. <laughs> there's a link. <laughs> so you can follow you can uh, copy and paste the link and and you'll find That's everything great. that you need to in order to get the book. Next question for you now is is given that you've had you know, 66 is it 66? Yes. Yeah, 66 yeah sixty six women give you these amazing letters and i'm sure they're full of amazing advice that everyone should have a read of but what's
1: your biggest piece of advice that you'd pass along to a woman in her career um yes yeah, so my advice would be just be fearless and just go for it um you know don't think that you have to be ready because you will never be um but also know that you're not alone um, there are many, many very cool organizations, right? I mean, obviously there's Blooming Founders, but there's, you know, plenty of organizations for you know women in tech, women in science and finance. You know, a lot of great um, groupings where you can get support. Uh, it is really important to get support because if you think that if you're one of you honestly like me, who've kind of like you know achieved everything they always wanted in life, you are very bad at reaching out for help. Because uh, you cannot kind of think, think. Like, oh, I can figure it out by myself. Yeah. But you just pay for that essentially. Um, so my advice is, is: reach out to help as early as possible. Get feedback from other people on your idea, and uh, and really immerse yourself with it. Um. You know, ninety percent of startups don't work out. But it's not about actually working out or not. It's more about the experience and the personal growth that you experience. You know. You know. Even if you sort of go. Sort of back to another job, but then it might be co- in a completely different field because of what you have done in your startup, right? Um, so don't think about, oh my God, I have to be successful. That just simply doesn't work, basically, right? Um, um, you know, just embrace the experience of being entrepreneurial. It will massively benefit your professional life either way.
0: That's a good piece of advice. I'm going to, co- that might be a quote called. Yeah. <laughs> Aside from your own book, which is coming out very, very soon, what do you usually turn to in order to give you like a little bit of inspiration? Yeah. So anything that
1: you're reading or listening yeah, to? I that... read all the time. That's <laughs> a good it. thing. <laughs> it's almost like, you know, I'm doing my like, startup MBA by myself kind of like, you know, every day. I still feel like that, to be honest. Um, so I read a lot of blogs. I follow quite a few people. Um, you know... Um, VCs or accelerators and you know, there's kind of like really cool people who publish content. Um in terms of uh, you know, um blogs, I would definitely recommend Paul Graham's blog. Yeah, why company there it's amazing. Um, Mark Schuster, um, both sides of the tables, like he's pretty awesome. It's I, I just am like, Wow, how can you like be so wise? <laughs> <laughs> like it's incredible. <laughs> and um because he also kind of writes it in a very you know plain sort of easy to understand language right um and in terms of podcast um i'm a podcast junkie myself so um there's one podcast called um the startup chat which is um uh, done by two guys uh wait i have to remember the names it's um stelly ft and oh my god i was listening to the second guy i forgot so sorry (laughs) Heaton Shah, exactly, Stanley, Heat Heaton Shah, it's not the, you know, normal name, so yeah. so forgive me for sort of blanking on it, but the podcast is amazing, because um, those two guys have both their own um, SaaS companies, but they're so nice, and they're just kind of like, you know, it's like a chat, like you and me, but it's kind of like they chat about a topic. Okay. So it's less, less interviewee, uh, but more about, you know, how to do th- things, right? And they just chat about their own experiences. But again, when you listen to them, you kind of think like, oh my God, they know everything, right? And it's like, how do you know everything? <laughs> and obviously they have been around in the Silicon Valley sort of startup scene for ages, right? So they've seen and done a lot. But um, it's just very, very approachable and very nice to listen to them. Um, I listen to Gary V as well. Sometimes when you kind of meet just like... Chaka, hustle more yeah. kind
0: of thing, right? Yeah, yeah the Gary V. injection of ah,
1: exactly, <laughs> exactly. I can't listen to it too much, but sometimes I do. Me like, oh <gasps> my god, I need some motivation. Let's listen to Gary V. Um, and and there's another startup um podcast called Startup, which is um done by Gimlet Media, and the first season is actually so the so the difference between that podcast and other podcasts is it is actually a narrative story. So it's like an audiobook that you listen to. Um but it it is about startups and the first season is actually how he started Gimlet Media as a startup. So you actually listen to him pitching to VCs and sort of talking with the co-founder. So he has recorded like all of the, you know, the conversations, uh, talking to his wife and you know sort of figuring out everything. Yeah. And I think again, you know, it's just a very different easy to listen to format, but it's very very real. Um yeah.
0: Cool. that's a good list good list I'm going to have to check out a couple of those podcasts yes. I think as well they sound really really cool but thank you so much for joining me Yay. for Geek Girl Meets Um, very 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 excited for the book I will be getting my copy this week and having a read you should also go and get copies so go to bloomingfounders.com forward slash book in order to do so Lou would you please tell us how they can get in touch with you
1: yes so uh, I'm on Twitter I'm more active on my, my startup uh Twitter than on my personal Twitter, so my startup Twitter is Blooming Founders without the last e because it was one letter too long for Twitter. <laughs> Damn, Twitter! I know, right? Um, but uh, but yeah, when you type in Blooming Found, you will it will pop up. And then my personal Twitter is House of Lee. Um, you can tweet me there as well. I will be slightly less responsive.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this week.
1: This week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> More in general. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you can tweet me. You can also drop me an email. Um, so my email is L-U-L-I, at bloomingfounders.com
0: fantastic well thank you so much for coming along now girls and guys just to wrap up but as you know the geek girl conference is coming up on the 8th of october and tickets are now on sale so if you go to geekgirlmeetup.co.uk you can find out more about the conference on there and purchase your tickets it's taking place on the 8th of october at the ministry of justice down in saint james's park so that should be quite cool and a good venue and we're looking at the way we're wired so how technology is changing us and how we are shaping technology of the future and finally if you didn't see it but we are giving away free tickets for men in tech because here at Geek Girl Meetup we found that there was an underrepresentation of men in tech at women in tech events I agree So this year we're giving away 20 free tickets to male CEOs, co-founders and senior business decision makers so that they can come along, fully embed themselves in Geek Girl Meetup and find out just what they need to do in order to build a diverse culture in the workplace. So if you know a guy who should be a geek guy and meet a load of geek girls, then please send him our way by going to geekgirlmeetup.co.uk and to our blog and find out more about the Men in Tech tickets. I'm Cathy Whitetan on Twitter. You can follow us at GGMUK and on Facebook, we are Geek Girl Meetup UK. And until next week, have fun.